This week on the Indo Daily. I asked her to leave me alone. I felt like she was harassing me and she was insistent that, you know, these were just coincidences. Catherine Martin, she is in favour of scrapping the TV licence and giving money to RT direct from the exchequer. Tonish Michael Martin, dead set against it. No way, not happening. Find and follow us at all the usual spots and over on the Irish Independent website. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. Board Gosh Energy, proud sponsors of the GAA All Ireland Senior Hurling Championship and GAA Legends Tour Series of Crow Park. Hashtag Hurling to the Core. Hello and welcome to the Throwing with me, Michael Verney, in association with Board Gosh Energy. Will is off this week, but I'm joined by Brendan Cummins and Colin Keyes to discuss all the weekend's action. We'll move on to football later, but first the hurling action. Brendan, an amazing Munster final in Parky Cueve yesterday with tip up by 10 points at half time. You must have been a happy man, but an amazing second half comeback by Limerick. It was, it was amazing, Mike. I mean, in the first half, everything was going the way Tip Bray would have wanted. I was surprised at the shape that Limerick took up on their own puck out in that all their forwards lined up in the middle of the pitch. On the tactics board, it looks like the right thing to do when you say it have legs to beat the Tip Bray defenders out to the sideline. But Tip hedged really well, boxed them in. And that meant then when the Limerick cornerback got the puck out short and looked up, he saw nothing but green space, but Tipperary bodies close to the sideline. So he couldn't deliver it. Limerick then tried to be too precise, running through the middle. Tip turned them over and Tip get goals then from the long puck out. So everything was going exactly the way Liam Sheedy would have planned. We spoke about a couple of weeks ago on the, on the podcast that Tip were going to give Limerick the puck out. So everything was going swimmingly. But then the second half, Limerick changed. They, they kept it more wide up front. The puck outs were going longer. Tip puck out was dropping shorter. Tip didn't really go short and they don't have that in them, I suppose, uh, at the moment um, to run the ball for their own half-back line. And Limerick hoovered it up. The tippy-tappy hurling started. They started to get Casey in space one-on-one with tip defenders the same way when Galan came on. And then the whole thing obviously changed and they gave an absolute exhibition of how to put a team away. Um, But the other thing I would say is that when they brought on Dan Morrissey at fullback, the whole thing changed as well. And that was in the first half. You could see that the tip long ball wasn't working as well when they had a bigger unit with Callan and Inder. Rich English really struggled. Um, but overall, Limerick in the second half just out-muscled, out-ran Tipperary and, and put it on the scoreboard as we know they can, getting I think just 28 shots away in the second half. Colm, you were obviously in Parky Cueve. Uh, just talk me through that, particularly that opening 15 or 20 minutes of the second half. Like We saw, we saw that's probably the best, I think John Kiley said it was the, the best quarter of Hurland they've done in five years. It was, it was absolutely phenomenal stuff. If anything, it probably, probably showed that they're getting better, if anything. John Kiley, Michael said it was the best hurling in in five years for Limerick. I, I'd suggest it was the best hurling from any team uh, going back to Kilkenny 2006 to 2009 
in their pomp. Now, albeit only for one half, and a game is obviously two halves, and in the first half, Limerick made mistakes, or should I say were forced into mistakes that they were most uncharacteristic. And uh, there was probably a template there for Tipperary and the pressure they applied in in, in, in the 2019 All-Ireland semi-final with Kilkenny. That early pressure paid dividends for Kilkenny then. They got a bit of a lead and they were able to hold it off as the Limerick train came at them. But this time, even though the lead was bigger, uh, Limerick just surged into that game. But just everywhere... The change was was phenomenal. And Brendan has mentioned, obviously, obviously Dan Morrissey coming on and uh, Barry Nash in the air just around the Tipperary Square. They swept up everything. They started so many sweeping moves. But you have to say, Keen Lynch was instrumental in, in everything they did. He was great in the first half too. Uh, some of his short passing, some of his, you know, his efforts to be as creative as possible at all times even when things weren't going well. But I think he won three frees in that uh, in that third quarter just just by simply forcing himself at <laughs> players and trying taking them on and Tipperary were forced were forced to foul. But all around, I mean I look at someone like Will O'Donoghue, he barely had control of the ball in the first half. He was uh, he was under pressure everywhere and he really soared in the second half. And then to top it all, I mean obviously Aaron Gallan had a huge contribution to make too. He gave them an outlet that wasn't there either. I think obviously the introduction of of Galan and uh, Dan Morrissey was was pivotal for them, but also and a lead of ten points. And Brendan probably remembers the nineteen ninety. Brendan, of course, Brendan remembers the nineteen ninety six Munster final replay at the same venue, and the lead was also ten points. It's such a dangerous lead to be so far ahead. It creates. Maybe a false sense of security. I'm sure Tip probably didn't feel that. But the minute a team starts picking away at a lead like that, no matter who you are and how well mentally you've prepared, you will always there will always be doubt in your mind. No matter no matter what team you are, once a team gets a bit of momentum, two or three points, and the crowd, however small it was, start to really make their presence felt too. And you could sense that around the ground at Limerick felt there's something on here. And then they got the goal in 42 minutes. The pressure on Brendan Maher coming out. He was surrounded. Aaron Galan made the initial tackle. And you can see him then just pivoting away. Uh, there was two other three, two or three other players. And he gets away from the scrum of bodies. And he takes the last pass, I think, from Garode Hegarty and has the shot. So he he had two uh major inputs into into that goal. And yet, obviously, and we'll probably discuss this further for, further down. Uh, you know, should he have been on the field? I don't think he should have. Uh, we might as well discuss it now, I think, because it 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 would be remiss if we didn't bring it up. Brendan, uh, some people are saying that if he, if he'd hit anybody else on the pitch, uh, it would have been a red card. Obviously, Carl Barrett, a very combative kind of a figure, and uh, as you know, obviously was red carded in last year's uh, quarter final defeat to Galway, and obviously was involved in the red card which Richie Hogan picked up. What were your own thoughts on it? Uh, it did look like Barrett. Uh, may have somewhat struck Galan first, but Galan definitely it did look like he swiped back and probably should have been a red. What are your own thoughts? It is, and if it, if it is something that could derail Limerick, I think John Kiley, if he has the one to one with his players himself and Hegarty, they're the ones that opposition teams are probably going to say, "Look, give him the nudge, give him a push all the time, be talking to him, be in their face, uh, be play really on the edge with him, and you might get that slap back." And and certainly the weekend, I think it was a red card. I was surprised that when 
the referee even himself, I think, felt that, oh, oh, you know, he might have to go here, talk to the linesman. Now, I don't know what the linesman said. Was that he was trying to put the hurley back to stop Cahal Barrett pulling him or whatever it is. Um, but it was a slack back and, and that was it. And it... I think the way Limerick were playing at the time, whether Tipperary would have it would have made a massive, massive difference. Obviously, it would give Tip a bit of momentum, but for me, he just slapped back with the hurley. And that that little bit of that bite back, I think, is the thing that Limerick will have to be most careful of. Once they keep fifteen players on the pitch and all, then they're at the moment they looked like the way they played yesterday, unstoppable, you know. But um, they certainly, I think, got away with one on that on that on that occasion. Interesting because at the time I think it was two sixteen to twelve and the turnaround hadn't really happened yet. It was kind of and obviously Galan was central to that too. Uh, Colin, do you just talk to me um, about about Kyle Hayes's goal? Uh, it must have been a pleasure to see that in the flesh, like a phenomenal goal. I think he picked it up in his own sixty five. Just talk me, talk me through that. Yeah, he took a, took a pass from Keen Lynch and Michael. I mentioned this in the report, and uh, uh, you know, I. I I have a distinct memory, obviously, of the 1995 World, World Cup, Rugby World Cup, and the impact that John Alumu made for, for New Zealand. He was 19 years of age, and he was just a freak of nature when he came into, into that competition. And he scored four tries against England in the semi-final in Cape Town that year. And he literally ran through them. He trampled through them. And since Kyle Hayes has moved back to halfback last year, actually for the Tipperary game last year. Um, for me, it's been reminiscent of Lomu and his pomp to watch, to watch Kyle Hayes take off with that power. And he gets to 10 metres and 20 metres and he's picking up pace the whole time. And he made those runs throughout last year's champion, especially in the All-Ireland final. And it forced a great save, a double save, if I recall, from, from, from uh, Stephen O'Keefe in the All-Ireland final. One of those surges, he gives and he goes and he takes again. Um, it's just phenomenal to see him in, in, in full flight like that. When you think that was around the, I think it was the 40, 47, whatever minute it was anyway, 53rd minute maybe, uh, in that sweltering heat, and he is able to travel comfortably more than 80 metres and keep picking up pace, he goes round Brendan Maher. He shakes off Dan McCormack. He gets away from Dan McCormack. And then he drops the shoulder. And he drops the shoulder finally, just as he's about another jink, just as he did against Cork in the previous game, and finishes superbly. A lot of people would consider it as good a goal as they've ever seen. I would have to say that uh, I would agree with that, given that where he came from and in the circumstances, the time of the match, to be able to produce a run like that. But he obviously started out as a halfback. Uh, a very, very strong centre-back uh, uh, at underage level, played at centre-forward, but the move back to wing-back with Keen Lynch now switching to run the whole show from centre-forward, I think it has moved Limerick to... It has given them uh, such an added weaponry in both cases with Lynch and his sorcery and his trickery from centre-forward and then that power and that feeling and power that, that, that Hayes, went, uh, Hayes brings to his game I mean, teams are now obviously setting up very much with him in mind. Tipperary put Michael Breen on him. It was effective for a while, but Michael Breen soon realised, as did everybody uh, in Tipperary, the only way we're really going to stop him is to is to foul him when he's in full flight, or else stop him at source. And it was mindful of well, New Zealand in the in the 1995 World Cup. Uh, how are we going to stop Lomu? They had to try and stop him at source, and that's the way it is with Kyle Hayes. Because once he gets away, and once he gets in full flight, he is extremely difficult to, to stop unless there's lots of bodies around him. 
And the other the other thing with that as well on him is that he bounced the ball twice off the ground. Yeah. Now, you'd expect somebody to break stride or to slow down for a split second when they do that bounce. But it actually, when he bounced it and got it, it's like he, it gave him another little booster when he got it in his hand. And Tibray defenders then were just falling off him because in the first half, you're right, Michael Breen tracked him. I was Tibray supporters all around me thought, way we're back, look at this now, we've stopped Kyle Hayes. But that's the key with him. He'll make five or six of those runs a game. And it's whether you have the engine to keep up with him or not. And there is very, very, very few out there, to be fair. As much as strength and conditioning as all the players have, he's just a complete, I'd know, freak of nature in the way that he has so much athleticism. He reminds me of Austin Gleeson when he burst on the scene first. Remember Austin used to make those lung-busting runs? Yes. You know, and he got faster and faster the closer he got to goal. This fella is doing it consistently now the last two years. It's just a testament to the way he looks after himself, a testament to the way, I suppose, that he does his conditioning, the speed training and all he does. But he is just, he's, he's a beast of a man like he strikes me as a player that could have succeeded in rugby. He, he yeah. could have succeeded in AFL. He could have exceed, succeeded in Gaelic football, I would imagine, too. He just has that all-round physique and athleticism. And uh, it's hard yeah. to be. I think he's only 23 without without uh, look, looking it yeah. up. He's, tw- he's 23. It's, it's, it's phenomenal where he has brought his game right now and what he has left in his career. And that's the really striking thing about this Limerick team. Uh, is that the just Brendan on that like Limerick probably as good as ever like they've really really cemented their their places the firmest of all Ireland favourites like can you see them being stopped if if they're able to you know develop that twenty minutes into a thirty five minutes or into a seventy minute performance it's very hard to see them stopped. Well, it is, but I think every game obviously will be will be different. I think teams will. I think Tipperary probably should have left one inside like Watford maybe a Jake Morris inside or something like that and pull everybody else out the field. I think that's what Watford did to try to stifle him. Galway were very good at it um, last year as well and got opportunity. I think if anybody's going to beat Limerick, it'll be in the semi-final, um, will be the one. And I think if you can get four or five ahead of him, Kilkenny showed that then you get into a shape where you play one inside, everybody else out the field, and you make them play the ball through like Tipperary did in the first half. Unfortunately, there was too many avenues left wide open for Limerick to run the ball. And it's one thing to say, right, the narrative, of course, after the game with Tip Sports, oh, we've no legs, we're slow, we're this, we're that. But if you get most of those Limerick players one-on-one like it was in the second half, unless you're an Olympic sprinter with a hurley in your hand, you're going to be in difficulty. So the only way around that is, is to pull bodies around the middle of the field. Every time they turn, they hit into somebody and try to get them to do uncar- or take risks that they wouldn't normally want to take. And Tip did that in the first half. But unfortunately, in the second half, it, it obviously petered out. But Limerick, uh, you, oh, concentration, Mike, is going to be the key with Limerick, as long with the work rate. I mean, you have to all the time have your head on a swivel. So they challenge you in every facet of the game. And any chink in the armour, then they'll go for it. And you saw the weekend how quickly they put the game away. One ten, I think, was to a point in that third quarter. I was reading your column uh, this morning, Brendan, and just saying, uh, where to now for Tip? And you're kind of saying that Liam Sheedy needs to take a leaf out of his old adversary's book in, in Brian Cody. Can you just expand on that a small bit? Yeah, I think Brian Cody, we've seen it with, with Connor Fogarty, Walter Walsh, Killian Buckley. Like, they're all named to start, and then four of them are put on the, put on the bench. So he puts in the younger fellas to say, look, you just do all you can here. Keep us in the game for as long as you can, I think would be the talk without probably saying it out loud. And you know what? After the, at the, after the last water break or maybe just before, we'll bring on the cavalry and they'll finish the job. 
you know. So what they're doing really is they're wearing teams down to it. The pace of the game obviously drops in the last 20 minutes. And then they bring in the players then who can maybe finish it. And you saw with Walter the last day in the Leinster final, you know, Killian Bucky the same way. He came onto a ball there in the finish and, and accelerated past Liam Rush. If that was in the first five minutes of the game, there's no way he would have went past Liam Rush like that. So, I mean, it's that awareness to, to use the power that you have when it's needed most down the home straight, is it? Sibrary, I suppose, have, have won a couple of All-Ireland under-20s and 21s. So the question that the tip supporters have at the moment mm. is where are those players? And I think they may not be showing it in training and Liam can only go on training to his, to his credit. That's the way he always manages the team. But maybe now is the time for the leap of faith. But I wouldn't also, and the last point I'd make is, it's not a time for panic within Tipperary either. I mean, in 2019, we got hockeyed in the Munster final as well. And hey, presto, we won the All-Ireland, right? So Limerick just pulled out an unbelievable performance like they did in the Gaelic grounds that day. Liam won't panic. You get the boys down. There's two weeks to rest now. And we won't meet a team that play like Limerick again until the final. So there's nothing to be rushed about. But certainly I do think we will need to freshen up with a couple of the younger players to prepare for what might be ahead later down the road if, if we're fortunate enough to get there. Colin, Brendan kind of touched on it there. Uh, while many things change in the GA, very little changes about Kilkenny or Brian Cody. His, I think it was his 17th Leinster title. They're, they're 73rd in total. Um, obviously, there's probably mitigating circumstances to it with, with Dublin's uh, with COVID kind of uh, controversy before the game. But just talk me, talk me through uh, Kilkenny and they're obviously only two steps away from winning Lee McCarthy now. Well, if you consider that Brian Cody is a is thought to be a manager under under pressure in his in his, in his own county. And since 2018, he has now picked up two Leinster titles and two league titles. Now, for an awful lot of counties, that would be a very, very decent return. But obviously, Kilkenny, there's a different barometer there. Uh, but you have to say that with this group of players, maybe that's as good as it's going to be, be for them. And maybe that these, these titles should be cherished more than they actually are. Because I think, you know, he's getting as much out of them. To me, he's getting as much out of them as as is there at present. They just don't have the talent that was there in, in previous years. And you can see that by, you know, even within Cody's chopping and changing, and obviously it's a horses for courses approach. But there's no real consistency about selection. And that's because there's a lot of players around the same standard, obviously, and different different occasions, different skill sets will suit different occasions. But to win two Leinster titles back to back, by whatever circumstances, obviously Galway not were knocked out and they came late to beat Galway, but they've won them and they've put themselves into another All Ireland semi final now. Uh, that's their third in success in in successive years. So even with a dominant Limerick, even with a dominant Limerick, Kenny are right there in the chasing pack, very prominent in the chasing pack, and a lot of counties would uh, would give anything to be in the position that they're in. But you mentioned the COVID cases. Obviously, that was a big, big impact on Dublin with the players they lost. And then, obviously, Owen O'Donnell having to go off after three minutes. And that opens its own questions about, you know, whether he should have started or not after his injury the last day. The COVID cases are a real concern. I think just to step, uh, take a step to the side and look at it in general, Michael, I think you, you, anecdotally you hear about a lot of club teams and uh, training sessions that are having to be cancelled and they're obviously with Mayo last week when Mayo football the Mayo football team last week they went very very close to that game in Connacht not being played because of COVID in close context and we're seeing a lot more of it so it is going to be an impact and for the future of the championship and even the inter-county championship over the next two to three four weeks 
uh, it's going to be a precarious line for teams because of the the wide circle, the obviously the contacts and all of that. But Dublin Dublin missed those players. I thought they hung into the game for a long time, but in the second half, really, Kilkenny were able to power away from them, and. You know, without being without being clinical in any way, they just they, they got the job done efficiently. Just uh, I think Brian Cody actually raised concerns, his own COVID concerns, and how cagey I suppose that he'd be, and how safe. I know all teams have been safe, but just how they really need to be as stringent as possible to make sure it doesn't get into their panel or any other panel. But just on on Dublin for a minute, Brendan. Uh, considering everything and considering Owen O'Donnell going off so early and probably shouldn't have started and Mark Schutte going off and obviously two starters and two panellists uh, missing uh, at the weekend like it, it wasn't a bad display all told considering when you take everything into the equation No it wasn't they did, they did exceptionally well and I don't say that now in a, in a patronising way um, to Dublin they, their setup was really good uh, Rush and Conor Burke did their thing I felt that they got tired which naturally they were going to do, considering like that when the, the ball went up, if you don't have a Ronan Hayes figure above on the edge of the square, uh, in fairness to shoot, they did quite well, but Hayes is on a real roll. Um, Keen Boland did well. He got, got his man one-on-one a number of occasions and, and didn't really, uh, I think, take him on or be try to be as, as bold as he what he should have been uh, and playing around. But Hugh, um, Hugh Lawler was exceptionally, exceptionally good now in, in the full back line for Kilkenny. Um, but either way, I think Dublin would have gotten a fair bit out of it. Um, and that, you know, Maddie Kenny, if you told him at the start of the year, you'd be missing Owen O'Donnell, Hayes, all these lads um, for the uh, for a Leinster final. You'd say, my God, we'll be bet by 100 goals. But that certainly wasn't the way. And they kept they kept plugging away as long as they could. But obviously, it was always going to be an uphill battle with the, with the, uh, with the guys that were out from COVID. And the same way with Owen O'Donnell. I watched him doing the warm-up. He was no way near doing anything in the warm-up. He walked around mostly on the periphery of it with his head down, looking at the grass. And that's always a sign of a fella going, oh my God, it's not going to work. And I don't think he would have started if the other lads didn't have the COVID, um, the contact on COVID and all. I think he would have been benched. But I'd say what happened was they just said, look, we're out four. You might as well take a chance here and see what happens. And it could be a costly one because the boys will be back from COVID and a hamstring injury to, to re-injure it again like that, it could set him back again, which would be a huge, huge blow for Dublin if he can't play in the quarterfinal. Yeah, it was a real nightmare scenario for, for Matty yeah. Kenny to be put in at, at an 11th hour. Uh, Colin, just looking at the, the All-Ireland qualifiers, obviously the, the big game on Saturday uh, in the qualifiers was, was Clare and Wexford. Uh, an absolutely blistering start by Clare, which is becoming a common team at this stage. Uh, done it in last year's championship and have done it in their three games in this year's championship. And like they're a dangerous prospect coming into coming into next week. They're playing Cork obviously next weekend after the qualifier draw. Galway are playing Waterford. They 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 really seem to be clicking now when it really matters. And I suppose the thing is they weren't dependent on uh, they weren't dependent on Tony Kelly as they probably have been obviously in last year's championship to run up those big scores. He wasn't at his brilliant best by any means. Still very good, but wasn't at his brilliant best. But Right from Rory Hayes at cornerback, right through to Aaron Shanahan up front. They looked really, really dangerous at times. And they had Wexford swamped in that game. There is no doubt about it. And Wexford were facing a dilemma. Is this going to be like last year? Are we going to tamely bow out? But to their credit, they fought back. They made an absolutely great game of it. And just, I feel, that they left themselves with just too much to do on a sweltering day and a warm day like that. 
And it's not that they lacked legs, but sometimes in the heat you make poor decisions uh, in possessions and it, it, can, it can get you. And I thought coming down the tracks, Wexford made a few poor decisions. Uh, Lee Chin went for uh, a goal when he might have been better off popping a point. Stuff like that, that just maybe maybe got to them. That's a fatigue that might have set in for Wexford, albeit that when Clare got their second goal, Wexford responded as well with a second goal. So it was a really, it was a really great game. Uh, it wasn't the worst situation for Wexford to bow out on, given the bad season they had last year. They've recovered a bit of ground, but they do look to be off the pace of some of the other teams. Clare, particularly Clare, have, uh, have beaten them twice in succession now in Championship and seen seem to have the edge on them. And Clare have got a bit of momentum, haven't beaten Waterford. Unlucky, obviously, with the with the, uh, with the the penalty and the sin binning uh, against Tipperary the last day. And then to recover from that and pick up momentum again and go at it. Uh, you players like like Carl Malone and John Connan is really fitting in well into, in, into centre-back as well. So there's good structure about them and they have momentum and they're a very, very dangerous opponent, obviously, next weekend for Cork. Uh, Brennan, there was a lot said in the aftermath uh, by Davy Fitz about uh, maybe online abuse that he has received and even that his dad has received and potentially maybe burying the hatchet with Brian Lowen. Uh As regards his immediate future in Wexford, uh, do you think he's taken Wexford as far as he can take them? Do you expect him to be in charge next year? No, I think I, I don't expect him to be uh, to be in charge next year. I suppose the issue for Davy is where is the next challenge for him? Um, he, he, no matter what you say about him, and he obviously is a divisive character of people's opinions on him. He is absolutely passionate and dedicated to the game of hurling. So, if there was another slot freed up somewhere, an intercounty job, I think he would take it up and he would go on, and everyone would be happy. I think at the moment, I can't see Davy making a decision based on I'm going to sit on the sidelines for twelve months. I don't see that happening. So if there is no other job up for grabs out there, we'll say uh, that would need Davy's expertise and energy. And um, then I think he might stick another year with Wexford. But I do think the time has come to, to leave the Wexford project uh, and, and move on the same way. I, I'd like to see himself and Brian Lohan have touch knuckles after the match. I think it would have been. Uh, uh, it's very hard. I suppose my character is that I died. Um, just kind of forget and move on for all the world, you know, but the boys just whatever, how deep a deep set um, this is between them. It's, it's disappointing to see the way it is, you know, for two guys who are such great friends on, on the pitch, but for Davy in the future, God only knows, but again, you'll have to give clarity. I think in the next month or so to allow Wexford to find a new manager. Um, and also I suppose if he's staying to, to allow him a bit of time to plan again for, for 2022's push. Yeah. Colin, just on the other All-Ireland qualifier, uh, Waterford ran very, very close by Leash. I uh, was watching the last 15 or 20 minutes of it and I kind of thought the stars were aligning for, for a big Leash win. Uh, Waterford definitely not at 2020 levels, but I suppose they're still in the hunt and I suppose that's the main thing. Yeah, they, they haven't obviously had a great championship today. <laughs> that wasn't a very inspiring performance from them last weekend and also against against Clare either. And it, it was an indifferent league, albeit they beat Limerick and they beat Tipperary in the league, but the league is long gone now. And to me, they looked like they had produced, were producing a really, really strong forward line. Daisy Hutchinson was in superb form in the, in the league, and obviously Shane Bennett was back as well. And, you know, Stephen Bennett, has, he's carried on his form, his form from last year. So I do think there is a kick in them, and I think that kick will come next weekend. Whether it's good enough to beat Galway or not, there's a bit of recovery for Galway as well after, uh, after, after the manner of their defeat 
to Dublin, not just the way they lost, but also the manner of it. I thought they really didn't. They, they never chased that game. They were never really, really foot to the floor in that game. And that's a question that they have to ask of themselves now this week. Uh, I do think it's it'll be a very, very tight game. I think Waterford would throw everything at it, but I'm mindful of how the league match did finish between them. And Galway have so much talent in, in their forward line with Connor Whelan was on fire and Brian Concanon. And obviously, getting getting uh, Joe Canning back into into the swing of things as well. I do think Galway oh, will have just that bit much more power than them. Uh, lots of big games, after, obviously coming up next weekend. Leash are, have a bit of momentum now. They carry that into that Division One relegation match against Westmead. Westmead, who had a, a great win in the Joe McDonough Cup. Uh, Brendan, you were obviously with Kerry for the last couple of years under Fintan O'Connor. Uh, a hard pill for them to swallow, but by all accounts, Westmead were probably just a step ahead. In fairness to them. Uh, they were, they were, they were a couple of steps ahead. To be honest, um, it wouldn't be an excuse for Kerry, but there was there was five missing from last year's last year's team. And Kerry's game over the last number of years has been run the ball up the pitch, uh, something similar to football. Get it to an area, then we can win in front of Shane Conway. But they were never able to really do that against Westmead. Westmead would look like the season mature team. David Glennon was exceptionally, exceptionally good, not only in his contribution and scoring, but also how he brought others into the game. Mitchell, they were, Tommy Dial at centre-back, they were very, very good now. And you could see that they were a Division 1 hurling team. And even though, I suppose, they got a couple of clippings in that division, um, Shane O'Brien had learned a huge amount and in the way that they, you know, I suppose they had, they, they played at that higher level. And so, yeah, they, I, I think that game between themselves and Leash now is going to be both teams are set up perfect. Leash have been playing exceptionally well since that game against um, against Wexford. And, and in fairness to Cheddar, he's learned because the set up against Wexford was the crazy part. Um, but after that, then they have gotten better and better, to be fair to him. The win against Antrim was massive. Um, so, you know, and a, a great performance to follow it up last weekend in Nolan Park again. So, but it's a big for those counties because while we'll move on and look at the elite teams for Lee McCarthy and all, to keep Division 1 status is absolutely vital for both Leash now and Westmead for their project because they see themselves being at the top table and they'll say that they're not going to learn a huge amount playing in Division 2 and they may be right, you know, based on the way Westmead grew this year and, and won that Joe McDonough. Great stuff, Brendan. Thanks a million for joining us. Thanks a million, guys. So that's a busy week of hurling action wrapped up. We now move on to the football column, uh, a whirlwind weekend for Monaghan football, uh, obviously with the tragedy on Friday night of Brendan O'Duffy, the under-20 captain passing away, to, to then produce what they did on Saturday evening in the circumstances. It was an absolute uh, emotional roller coaster up in Park Esther in Nori. Well, what a, what a 24 hours for Monaghan GA and you can probably extend it by another week or 10 days because the previous weekend or just before it, they lost their sponsor, Alborough Flooring uh, um, proprietor, uh, Philip Trainer, who was a great Monaghan supporter by all accounts. I didn't know the man, but uh, put a lot behind it and set up an awful lot for uh, Monaghan GAA on the east coast of America during his time there and was a really big backer of not just the present management but previous management also contributed there in whatever way he could so that's a big loss and then Monaghan under 20s go to Inniskillen and carve out a fantastic win uh, over Donegal and the team bus arrives back in Monaghan and Brendan O'Duffy gets into his car and heads home and is tragically killed in a car accident and uh, unspeakable uh, incident, obviously, for, the, for that to happen. A wonderful leader, 
Again, he was Ulster Minor winning captain in 2018, captain again of this team. He was asked into the senior squad and felt well as captain of the under-20 team. I think I'm best if I stay where he was. A great sweeper on the field, uh, read the game very well, all of those things, and such a tragic loss for his for his family and also for, for, Mon- for Monaghan GA and all all who came into contact him. So it really did cast a shadow over an otherwise wonderful weekend for the GA and in other circumstances, Monaghan. And it was a fitting tribute that the seniors delivered uh, to him if one could be delivered in those circumstances that after building up such a lead in Newry uh, and letting it slip that they came back and dug that victory out in what was undoubtedly the game of the year. But obviously for all who... Brendan O'Duffy touched at club level and at county level and obviously in his own community. It really is a, a, ter- a terrible tragedy and one that, you know, we'll, we'll recall for a long time yet because when someone young passes away way too early, it really does touch everyone, even even those who don't know him. You you, you, you can understand and you can almost feel what, what people and looking at the Monaghan players and even though they're senior players, there would be a very close contact, I'm sure, there between the under-20. In a county like Monaghan, there would be very close contact between the under-20 team and the senior squad. They would train together side by side in Clahan and they would know each other. It's a small county, GA-wise, that produces a lot of big results, obviously. So close-knit and they would they would know each other in that regard and, and uh, for, for, for this to happen and for them, for them to dig out. There's little the senior squad could do, only go. And once the match was was played and there's a doubt as to whether it should even have been played and these are all amateurs and for that to hang over them on a on a Saturday morning and then have to turn around and go out and face a game like that against an opponent like Armagh in in, in those circumstances very very difficult but they coped with it so well and as we say turned out to be a fantastic match in Newry um, some of those players would have played under 20 Aaron Mulligan being one he was centre forward in the Monaghan team uh, he would or ostensibly have been a colleague if he wasn't called up to the senior squad and he was a minor colleague three years ago when they won the Ulster title. So uh, a, a, ter- a, terrible event, a terrible event all round for such a close-knit community as Monaghan GA. Yeah, just like to echo those sentiments and offer our deepest sympathies to the, the family, friends and clubmates of, of, of Brendan Og. Uh, horrible, horrible uh, situation. Um just on the the action inside the white lines column, like the, as you said, it was a, a truly amazing game. Four seventeen to to two twenty one. When Monaghan get four goals in the first half, there's no, there's no way you're thinking that that Armagh can have a fight back like the, like they did and obviously take the lead. And then like Conor McManus just once again, like sometimes you can be uh, when you look when you look at the scores on a uh, the scores on a, on a game and you kind of see that it was maybe mostly freeze that he hit apart from that goal in the first half, but those nerveless freeze and just the, his ability to find uh, positions where he can win even these freeze and just pose this kind of threat to the opposition, it, it, just brilliant again when the need was greatest. Yeah, I, I go back to the relegation playoff with with Galway a few weeks back in Clonus and Galway were five points up. And Monaghan got it back to a point. And they're building looking for an equaliser. And you look at McManus just off the play. And he's trying to position himself in a place where he can get an angle and run on and get that favourite kick just outside the D and put it over, swing it over. And it's a bit like watching Johnny Sexton position himself 
for the dropkick in Paris a few years ago that ultimately won the Six Nations. These players know when to go, what to do, and the the whole thing about the right man being in the right place. And McManus and Monaghan know he's the right man for it in that time, in those pressure situations. And he's he's done it so often. He's done it so often. And he did it just a few weeks ago to bring that game to extra time. Obviously, Jack McCarron kicked the winner. But those last three frees that he won, the, the three frees, the last two especially, <clears throat> he won them. Got himself into position. Now, I thought Armagh were overzealous. Aidan Falker took down McManus. I didn't think there was a need for that. He was 45 metres out, shadow him, forced him to, to move the ball on again. But then to nervously take his, he, he, he took his breath and he nervously put the ball over the bar twice to equalise and obviously to lead. I think, <clears throat> I think he's one of the most economic Gaelic footballers. I think I would describe him as that. He's one, he's one of the best forwards I've seen in the modern era, certainly. But he's also one of the most economic players I think I've ever seen. He, he rarely, rarely will waste a ball. Actually, you know, he produces his his kicking from angles, from tight angles, is probably the best I've seen from, from anybody. I mean, he would kick a ball almost over from the end line on either side. He has that capacity just to get it, to get an angle. The hard thing to believe is he started off his Monaghan career as a halfback. <laughs> Back in the back in two thousand seven or whenever, whenever it was, he started off actually as a halfback, and he has developed into. And he's thirty four years of age. He has developed into a kicker of extraordinary quality. I have to say that now, and he proved it yet again. He is worth his weight in gold to to Monaghan. They are really really lucky to have him. It's funny. One of the best points I ever remember <coughs> him getting was against Tyrone, actually, who they'll meet in the Ulster final out by the sideline when he'd no, he'd no right to kick it a couple of years ago in an Ulster Championship <coughs> game. They're obviously going to meet meet again. It was Tyrone twenty three points, Donegal one fourteen. Uh, there's lots of different things going on in this game. Obviously, the sending to sending off to Michael Murphy being one of them. But in fairness to Tyrone, finished very, very strong. Uh, Darren McCurry, very, very good again. Looks like a player that's really coming, a, coming of age under Brian Dewar and, and Fergal Logan. Uh, just talk me through your, your thoughts in this game. Uh, the Murphy sending off obviously had a, had a big bearing on the game. Did you think it was warranted? I thought it was a reckless kick. I mean, obviously there was the intent. The intent probably wasn't there. So uh, the intent wasn't there. I, I would be pretty certain of that, that Michael Murphy did not mean to to trip his opponent up in, in that in that time, but it was still a reckless kick. And obviously, there's a there's a there's a, there's a duty of care there to uh, among, among all players. So while it may not have been a black card, it was certainly a yellow, and it did border almost on 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 red too. That 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 has to be said. And he had got a yellow before that, and I think there's probably greater doubt about that yellow than there was yeah. about this because this. This was obviously a more a more serious foul, but whether it was black or yellow, it didn't matter. He was he was going to be having got the initial yellow card. There was going to be a penalty attached to this to this kick out or a trip or whatever or whatever we call it. There was going to be something attached to that, so he was going to be red carded. So the question mark is over whether the first whether the first yellow card was was justified. But he had missed the penalty earlier. You don't see him often miss penalties. He missed one in the twenty ten All Ireland under 21 final against Dublin. Dublin went out, won that and really that may well have been the kickstart for the decade that they, they, they've just had. But uh, I think on balance, Donegal really, really put up a good show until the last 
probably 10 minutes or so and Tyrone, Tyrone pulled away. Do you think and it's ironic, uh, Colm? Like they were down, Tyrone were down to 14 themselves for the last 10 minutes. Yeah, and that's the equation. It seems a straightforward equation, but you must factor in the effort that uh, Donegal put in to cover the extra man in the in whatever it was, 40 minutes that Michael Murphy was off, was off the field. So that's an exhaustive effort on such a warm day. And it was always probably going to tell down the down the closing stages. And Tyrone have a strong bench. They probably have a stronger squad than Donegal, which surprised me because you'd look at it in totality and you'd say, well, Donegal should have the match of that. But they got much more impact off their, uh, off their bench this time. And you look at the run Conor McKenna made, I think, for one of McCurry's points. I mean, he broke up the an attack at one end, was able to come away. And we're talking about Kyle Hayes early in the segment there. You see what the distance Conor McKenna covered. And, you know, my belief is that they were playing him full forward last year, obviously, when he came back. And earlier this year, I think his best position is out around midfield. And I think when Colin McShane gets back into the groove, he's he's been slowly being introduced back. But the, the big thing is for, you know, you have McKenna and McShane and you have Derek Hanavan. Obviously, he's out injured. But the player that has really... Really, really thrived, as you said, under under the new management is is Darren McCurvey, who was in and out under Mickey Hart so often. Um, he he's really I saw him play last year against Kerry and Eden Dork his home club, and he he turned on an exhibition of kicking, and he's done it again in his last two games. There, he's a really talented player, a very very sharp turn, and I think more and more as the season progresses for Tyrone. I think he'll become the pivot. He has become the pivot attack and he will continue even though McShane and McKenna are back in the mix and you might have Canavan at some stage depending on how far they go but it looks like the focal point will be McCurry. The battle between McCurry and Conor McMahon is going to be very interesting in the Ulster final. Just moving on to, to Leinster column, uh, your own Mead uh, didn't look so good for them at half time of the Leinster semi-final against Dublin down 11 points and really, really overran in that first half. Uh, talk me through the second half. Like That was a really, really good third quarter. I think they outscored Dublin. I think it was 1-7-5 to five in the second half. Uh, for once, uh, a Leinster game involving Dublin that was quite interesting and was uh, very, very intriguing even down the home stretch. Yeah, it's the first time. Uh, it's the first time. Well, it's the 2013 Leinster final. Mead lost to Dublin by seven points. And six points is inside that. So it's something small to cling on to for the rest of the Leinster teams. Having only beaten Wexford by, by eight points in the previous round, there's no doubt that uh, Dublin are beginning to fray around the edges a bit. And the depth of their squad is nowhere near, the quality and depth of their squad is nowhere near what it has been in recent years. It's very, very rare that Dublin will lose a second half as they did. In fact, you, you go a long way back to recall when Dublin will lose a championship second half as they did here. And to lose it was by five points that they lost it. They were 11 up at half time, and they came home six-point winners. And again, in that first half and when the game was there to be won, Conor Callaghan, that triumvirate, Conor Callaghan, Kieran Kilkenny, Brian Fenton. And I've probably said this consistently, as long as they're there and in place and hungry and committed, Dublin will be a very, very, very strong force. And people say, well, they always will be. 
not necessarily without those three players. I think these guys have really, and if you look at it, that they've Kilkenny was obviously there in 2012, 2013, and then got the injury. But O'Callaghan and Fenton have come 2015 to 2017, and they have given the real momentum to drive on this run beyond 2015, 2016, and and obviously you include James McCarthy there too. But those that triumvirate. Uh, is really, really, for me, what separates Dublin from the rest. And it was on view again in the first half uh, yes, yesterday as well. Now, when it got to three points, Dublin were still able to pull away and get the next, the last three points and, and go and win the game. So the muscle memory to go and win games is still very, very much there. And I do think Dublin will improve from here. I think they will get a bit better every game. Every game, I think they'll beat Kildare by a bit more than what they beat they beat Meath, and that'll set them up for an All-Ireland semi-final with the Connacht champions. So I think progressively as the season gets on, I wouldn't be, certainly wouldn't be panning about Dublin. And I, I don't imagine they, they will be by to any extent. But their bench, the further they go down, is certainly much weaker. And without players like John Small and Robbie McDade and Owen Merchant, who may not play a whole lot, uh, that's, that's problematic for them when they... You know, and the altitude increases in terms of the type of opponent they are going to meet. But for me, it was a respectable result given their last two experiences against Dublin and in, in Leinster finals. They were faced with a choice at halftime. Are we going to let this go the same way as the last two? And I think that would have been a, a crushing disaster for these players. I think they'll get a little bit of a, a lift and a, and a kick out of it. And there are some good players coming in the county that can make a difference over the next four or five years. And it was important... It was important to, to to stop the bleed, so to speak, yesterday in terms of losing heavily to Dublin because it has been a most unpleasant experience, obviously, to lose for, for those players and for the county to lose so heavily uh, over the last two years especially, but right through the decade. I mean, there's been some some really heavy beatings there. So this, 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 this was a change for the better in that regard and gives hope to Kildare too in some regard because, you know, they'll, they'll improve a little bit too, but I think Dublin's improvement for the next day will be greater. Dublin's obviously experience came into play at the end. I think they held on to the ball for the goods of about four and a half minutes well, at the end. Well, that's what that's what they do. And you know, you see the, the the league game against Kerry this year. I remember I was covering it, and they they counted. They, I think the count was around three minutes, and they finally put one over. Just uh, I think it was Cormac Coslow, and they did it again against Wexford just after half time when they have to hold on to the ball and really move an opponent around. And they've done it consistently. They did it against Kerry. They were able to do it. Uh, in the All Ireland Final, the 2019 All Ireland Final replay, and Paul Mannion stepped in to kick, to kick a point that I think put them four up at one stage. That's what they do so well. It's remorseless. Uh, it can be wearying to pursue and to chase, and it flags an opponent. And they know that, and their precision and skill level is so high that they can shift the ball around at their ease, right from the back, take it one wing to the other. And uh, while it doesn't, while it doesn't excite a crowd or anything like that, you have to appreciate the skill and the mental strength to be able to do that. And it's something to do really well. It invariably ends in a score as well. And I think anybody uh, that would question Dublin's uh, motivation would be probably should probably take a look at Brian Fenton's fist pump after putting over that point. There's no lack of motivation there. They obviously face into a, a Leinster final against Kildare. Kildare 2-14, Westmead 18 points. Uh, really, really interesting game. It was nip and tuck nearly the, nearly the whole way until it's kind of two moments of brilliance probably from Daniel Flynn. He played a lovely ball across that Jimmy Highland ended up getting on the end of and then absolutely slalom through the, the Westmead defence. And in fairness to Westmead, they, they battled back 
and were it not for 11 second half wides and a couple of missed goal chances, um, they would have had a great chance of winning. But Kildare, while true to the Leinster final, and I know Jack O'Connor said that he's never been in a final that he didn't want to win or that they wouldn't make a massive effort for, they have won their two championship games. They have uh, promotion to Division 1. They're going to be missing Kevin Feely with what looks like a serious knee injury. Jack was very despondent after, and Owen Dial picked up a ser- what looked like a, a serious enough hamstring injury as well. So while they're in the Leinster final, it does look like the odds are kind of stacked against them even more so, even if they did have everybody available to them. Yeah, they've ticked the two biggest boxes they probably had for themselves at the outset. Get back to the Division One and get to the Leinster final. So from that point of view... You know, I'm sure privately it's it's mission accomplished and this is a shot to nothing. But without Feely, who's instrumental for them, and Owen Doyle, Owen Doyle has been a terrific servant for uh, for for Kildare, going right back to Kieran McGinney's time in charge now. He has been a great leader and consistent in terms of turning out for the team there. But you, you mentioned, uh, yeah, I do think, I think it's a, a very, very steep hill from here without those two players. But uh, Daniel Flynn... He's had a, a bad run with injuries. Sometimes you wonder, is he as tuned in as he should be? Uh, and But when he really applies himself, he is a fantastic footballer, lovely glider and mover with the ball. And uh, quite always question about where his best position is. He's had impact with, at full forward before. Um, but I, I, I'd like to think that out around half forward where he can use that explosive pace and that ball carrying is where he's best served. And you saw that. His ability to glide over the ground yesterday was really was really impressive. And when he's informed Kildare, just a better team. Great stuff, Colin. Thanks a million for joining us. Thanks, Michael. That's all for this week's episode of The Troy-In in association with Board Gosh Energy. Don't forget to rate, review and follow the show on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. And we'll be back next week where Will will be on board for more GA discussion. Thanks a million for joining us. Board Gosh Energy. Proud sponsors of the GAA All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championship and GAA Legends Tour Series of Crow Park. Hashtag Hurling to the Core.